Canine Detection Collaborative, a detection dog training trio with Stacey Barnett. Hi. Robin Grubel. Hey there. And Crystal Wing. What's up? With humor and a big dose of theory, our trio talks practical training advice and features interviews with top trainers and scientists. It's Canine Detection Collaborative! Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Canine Detection Collaborative. I'm Robin Grubel, and I'm here with Crystal Wing. Hello. And Stacey Barnett. Hello. And this is episode two that we did with Joe Rosie. And what we're going to do is we're going to let you listen to a, a big chunk of what she had to say and all of the things that tickle our brain. And we're going to see you on the flip side and uh, talk about all of those important things that we pulled out of this particular episode. So enjoy the interview. So we know you love to research. You bring it into everyday training. And that's something that I really find so much value in what you do. Do you have any current research rabbit holes that you're finding useful in your training or things right now that are tickling your brain? Yes, I've got lots of things I'm looking at at the moment, but I suppose if I had to pick one, well, no, if I had to pick two areas, one of them would be like your incentive uh, salience models, because that whole little part of science is in a lot of, is in a real state of flux and discussion at the moment. And that's something I love about science is that when you, people think of it as this finite thing where you've got like, this is, this is a scientific paper. This is the answer. And they, but actually when you reflect on how the scientific industry moves is that it's like, there's constantly these little wars going on about like, when this is my theory, but yeah, but mine's like this and it's a tiny bit differently and they fight over it and they look for evidence. And it's um, like science is, is in a constant state of flux because like science is just the method. But anyway, I digress. So <laughs> incentive salience, um, which is kind of a body of work that looks really at dopamine a lot. And it kind of one of the things that it's sort of exploring in layman's terms is whether or not dopamine is creating a, a, a need for something rather than a like for something, I guess. And it's exploring about whether or not Part of it looks at the old stuff of could the anticipation of something aversive, does that increase dopamine or is what we thought was dopamine actually something else? And what does that mean? And then some of it looks at whether or not dopamine is, is causing something to be incentive rather than whether or not it's more like a magnet, like whether or not it creates a, a desire, like a, a magnet, like a pull towards something rather than like this idea of it being something that you want and something that you seek and something that you like. Um, so there's a whole bunch of theories and, and, and different studies going on in that kind of realm of stuff, which I find interesting because there is so much practical application in many ways to understanding that the ebb and flow of dopamine and the ebb and flow of that chemistry and the impact that has on behavior, uh, especially when it comes to things like working dogs or sports dogs. So um, we were talking a lot about in the search, you know, and we kind of got into the whole predation thing. And then you had that post that you just put up and then that got us all crazy. So thanks for that. Just saying. Yes. <laughs> and then we had our inspire here where we had uh, female decoys or females here that learned to be decoys over the weekend. Um, and that was such a, a wonderful, empowering thing. We talked about um, kind of the predation stuff there. So that that's kind of been 
you know, one of our, our topics. Um, but when you're talking about this incentive and the dopamine, um, in the last, uh, I don't remember what it was, it was a summit that you did and you talked about getting the norepinephrine right. And there were like three chemicals at the beginning of your training session to get the dog in the right headspace. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about the over arousal that we see where some of the dogs are just so excited to get to go search that it is hard to get that initial level correct. And then when they do get into the search, um, for us in the SAR world, they need a trained final response. And then in the nose work world, some need, you know, some sort of indication. Some are very subtle. You know, it depends on what the handler wants. And a lot of times too, we're seeing like with my radish, I have a little Malab little mix girl. She's just the sweetest little thing. And when her arousal is too high, I think she thinks that she actually sat down, but really she just kind of hover zombieing because <laughs> she's so excited that she found the thing. Um, and that's it's in our training plan. I get it, but it's it's all about those arousal levels and that dopamine and that incentive thing that you're talking about. I think am I kind of understanding, or can yeah. you kind of put that together? Yeah, it is. It is. It is broadly about that. I think there's a bit of um. I think there's this really fashionable thing at the moment when it comes to training to try and put things in chemistry terms. And I do sometimes take a step back and go, mm, how useful is this? And I think sometimes it is useful and sometimes it isn't useful. I think understanding, sometimes I think I'm explaining terms to students partly so that they can unravel what other teachers have taught them about chemistry and work out what's what's actually happening rather than teaching students about chemistry because it's useful about dog training. And I think for me, there's like a 50-50 split there that I think sometimes 50-50. I think it's really important to understand as much as there is to understand about about chemistry. And I think that dopamine is something that is really important that we understand just because it's, especially when it comes to like, I'm going to do a bit of commas here, no one can see, but that's our training, especially when it comes to non-tool use and et cetera, et cetera. In many ways, anticipation, which is dopamine, which basically is what we're talking about when we're talking about dopamine, anticipation is one of the only types of pressure we have to use, I think, a lot of the time. And in exactly the same way, so when I go to Mondio Club, I train with balance trainers. Um, me and Nanda are the only non-balance trainers there. And we, we watch the impact of the pressure they use on their dogs, which is of a like negative valiance. So the pressure is threat more than anything. Um, and we we see the repercussions of that. And the repercussions of that actually are often not different, really, to the repercussions of the pressure that we use when we're teasing dogs and when we're um, building anticipation um, for other things as well. So often you get a bit of a scrambled egg brain um, and you get a fluster of like what I would describe as a hot mess. Um, the dog like losing the ability to really remember the context of what they're doing and instead just behaving in any way that is biologically satisfying. Or you get the opposite, which is a complete drop of motivation where the dog goes, I, 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 I'm out, I can't, I'm just going to bark or I'm just going to like, like again, in practical terms, what you'd call like losing your head. That is often a repercussion of pressure in in any form even even when it's anticipation based which is why I find it interesting when you look at some of the ideas about whether or not that what we thought was dopamine but now 
one argument is that it isn't, it's something else, but that seems to be continually contested. Um, when a dog is anticipating something bad compared to when, when they're anticipating something good. But either way, the same sort of spark plug seems to be ignited. And I think that as positive trainers, when I think about dogs like what you're talking about there with radish, I think sometimes we aren't aware of the pressure of a task because we don't see it as pressure because the dog is anticipating something great. So mm-hmm. we forget that actually, that that in and of itself, and especially when we are we are quite directive in what they have to do. So we're saying to them, you, we want you to use your superpower, but you can only use it in this way that we've planned for you. So you have to now kind of bring bring everything together in your superpower and now use it in this way rather than just open the box and be free. Um, and I think the pressure of that in and of itself can often cause uh, a lot of over, over arousal um, and a dog to come out of drive, if you know what I mean. Um, when I'm talking about drive, my, my definition for drive in the context of what we're talking about would be would be focused arousal. So focused arousal, really, when we're talking about sports dogs, is, is what we're talking about when, when it comes to drive, like driving anything, focused arousal toward, towards any particular goal. And um, so let's say the dog has, if we say that dog's, you know, a high drive dog, what I would be describing as a dog that has um, a lot of focused arousal towards the goals that we want them to have in that particular setting and when you have a dog we totally agree with you just so you know that's we have the exact same definition so yay same page (laughs) yes well and I you're sitting here and having this whole conversation and I'm thinking about I have three puppies anywhere from five months to nine and a half months and the the differences in watching their arousals focused arousals and all of that sort of stuff actually evolve has been fascinating so adolescence is normally their peak. Like you're in a really fun time for your dogs. So that's a word, not necessarily the word I'd use, but that's a word. <laughs> I have a 13 month and a seven month. So I, yeah. I feel your pain. I feel your pain. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, um, but it's most definitely, that adolescence is definitely when we see those, those biologically ingrained behaviors starting to come out. You know, like the, I can count, I can count thousands of uh, pit bulls that I started working with when they were young puppies and the owners going oh they're just brilliant with other dogs it's just the best thing I've had absolute nightmares and I'm like I'm gonna set the timer for when your dog is seven months old and we're gonna have this conversation again and it's not gonna go like this probably um, <laughs> like I, I, I really hope it does but I don't think it will um because you kind of just say look just everything is a phase and then you're gonna hit adolescence and then you're gonna have some really real phases coming out and you're gonna start to see the drives of the dog you're gonna see start to see where they where they're gonna choose to focus their arousal and and what parts, when you unpick that, are, and if we want to head back to chemistry, are dopamine-based, are anticipatory, are a desire like a magnet pulling you, this desire, this need to fulfil this behaviour in and of itself, this, this going back to kind of like incentive salience thoughts, and what part of that is like a much more hedonistic need for reward like I want the outcome of this behavior I want to hunt the rabbit so I can eat it I want to bite the man because I want to possess what he has 
I want to possess the sleeve or whatever. But what what part of it is driven by itself and what part of it is driven by the consequence? And I think, I suppose, really, going right back to the beginning again, that's one of the biggest <laughs> frustrations I have about the obsession with the quadrant is that it's so consequence-led. And I don't think dog behaviour is consequence-led. And I don't think that the vast majority of the behaviour that we work with... Um, especially really with sports dogs is consequence-led like we obsess about the consequence of everything when if you're working with a dog that does have a natural a natural drive for what you're working in then the behavior itself is the reward so there is there doesn't need to be a consequence half of the time um and I remember when I first started when I first started in dog training I used to make fun of these the, the local gun dog trainers who used to say it doesn't need anything but praise because he's a good dog he does it he does it for himself like he enjoys the job and I used to be like imagine that doing a job and not getting paid like and I used to be like that that girl who preached like well you should always you should always reward him for it imagine if you went to work one day and they stopped paying you your salary you wouldn't go to work the next day and then as I became a bit more developed and got a bit more experience, I was like, oh, shit, they were right. That's embarrassing. <laughs> I hate that when that happens. Yeah, I was like, damn it. The old, old guy down the road, he was, he was bang on, actually. They are doing it because they love it. And they do only need praise because actually they do love it. And sometimes you can massively over-justify behavior. I think in some more than anything, like, you know, and the, I think I always think the best visual for that is like making an attempt to reward a border collie when he's gone into the down, when he's herding sheep. Like if you, if you try and interrupt him and go, Hey, 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 good dog. Well, that's a really lovely down. Or that's a really lovely arc you've just done here. Have a treat. He's going to go fuck off. <laughs> get out, get out like, of yes. the way yes what the hell are you doing like yeah. you're just like that's gonna be that's gonna it's like the over justification act isn't it you're, you're you're trying to give an external reward for something that is so intrinsically rewarding that you're actually causing more problems and I think we do that a lot we can do that a lot in, in dog training and I think in scent work more than anything we can do that because we go in going yes go on like there's your reward and they're like just let me search again I'm not like just let me search again like take me to the next search I don't need that you're just making it worse so yeah Yeah. I can't remember where that train came from but well it's been interesting because I'm I'm going from doing you know 20 years of detection work and all sorts of stuff into the hunt test field trial world right Mm -hmm. and having working quality labs that really all they want to do is go retrieve something and bring it back Mm-hmm. And understanding how to put all of those controls on everything that they're like, no, I just want to hold it in my mouth and bring it back and spit it at you so we can do it again. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it's a fascinating thing for dog trainers. And, and I think in bite work more than anything, well, for me, probably at the moment, just because it's my bias, but in bite work, when I talk to people who have just started out training bite work, it's... It's one of those things that is really difficult to explain. So most people have a bit of a problem when the dog reaches a little bit older than adolescence or with that out, right? And a lot of people are like, well, I just can't understand it. I can't get it because I'm obviously whatever I give her is never going to be as good as the decoy that she's biting. And you're like, yeah, it's, whenever you're working with a dog like that, you, you have to completely rejig all your ideas about everything because the middle of the process is the best bit. And there's nothing you can do about that. 
but the middle of the process not the end of the process and you want the end of the process to be the best bit because if the like from a training perspective from a traditional training perspective that the end of the process being the best bit is what we're drilled because it's the quadrant and it's the consequence that you, we need the consequence at the end to be the best thing because that's what you're working towards and we have all these kind of very traditional quite linear training strategies that we're taught that all emphasize like the dog has to work you know they have to eat the broccoli to get the ice cream and they have to work to get the good bit and that's how we and then when you understand the way that biological drivers work and when you're working with a dog within that realm you suddenly go oh shit there's nothing I can do the middle of the process is always going to be the best bit so now I have to mess all my training up and I have to rip apart all these old ideas I've got and and work them through so that that works in my favor mm-hmm. and um and it's definitely the same with with when I when I did uh, bird dog work with my Vizsla many years ago. Um, that it, it was I had the same the same sudden like brainwave of oh shit like this isn't about me being able to give her something good enough for her to want to retrieve that and bring it to me and give it to me in the way that I want her to. I've got a completely reproposition the whole training scenario so that the middle bit is the best bit hello sorry i've just got a dog that's <laughs> hi i mean it's a canine podcast of course we have to have a canine visit we yes <laughs> so there's a, a story that i was just thinking about as you were sharing that and it's something that i was sharing in my functional obedience class and uh what it was, was they were talking about um, if you reinforce things that are already intrinsically motivating, that you can start killing the motivation for it. And an example for humans that we could use, um, there was a bunch of kids late at night and they would go to this basketball court and they were super loud and played their music loud and they were just obnoxious. And they're by this apartment building and this old lady, instead of reaching out the window and yelling and telling them to get away, because you know they would just turn their music up, she offered to pay them. And and she would give them money if they would turn their music up and they would come back the next night. And so they did that for a couple nights. And then the next night they came and then she said, well, I don't have any money to pay you. And they were like, well, we're not coming back here then. So it's in my mind, kind of a similar way that it's something that they already found that they were doing naturally. And then she started paying them for it. And then when she quit paying them for it, you know, they don't want to come back. Um, So I see that relation. Yeah, there's a whole body of work that looks exactly at that called the Overjustification Act, uh, the Overjustification Effect. And um, and there's many examples of it. Um, and there's many examples of where it's been kind of like semi-debunked, but only, I think, because they got the studies wrong. Um, because I think they were looking at behaviours that weren't biologically reinforcing. But anyway, um, some of the, my favourite two studies that look at that is one where um, they look at a bunch of kids that put in class and the kids have all chosen to volunteer to do artwork in the lunch times and then they start paying them for their paintings and they yeah. find that the attrition rate increases. And the other one is blood doning, which is super interesting. So loads of countries started up a scheme where they would pay for blood donors. So they'd pay you for a pint of your blood. And what they found was that the amount of people who donated blood like, dramatically decreased. Wow. Like, like mind-blowing when you think about it. Like, why, why, yeah. would you, why would you do that? What do you want to be your main takeaway for listeners? <laughs> oh, I think we forgot to include that in the list. Um, we can go first if you want to give you some time to think about it. 
Yeah, do that. Do that. Okay. okay. So um, I was thinking, and this one's really fast. I have been wanting to make it for a while, and I think it has to happen because um, I'm always saying it, and you were just saying it, and I just want to, I need to find out what shirt size you are because uh, I want to make shirts that say clarity is kindness mm-hmm. because it's it's really what it everything is about. It, just be clear. Be clear in your training no matter, uh, just clear in everything in your life, and it's going to be so much kinder uh, to everybody around you and yourself. So clarity yeah. is kindness. That's mine. Robin. Um, my probably, probably big, biggest takeaway besides the enjoy your teenage year, be with teenage months with the puppies, because, you know, certain things are coming out and value that time. But the other one is the whole concept behind the dopamine being an attractant and a magnet for behavior. And then, you know, thinking about how um, I start the puppies at a really young age. Um, I've gone through the SWDI master trainer program, right? And so I'm using the bottle caps or the Kong pieces or whatever to teach these very young puppies the this magnetic behavior of a sit and stare will get you all sorts of stuff. And is it's yeah, I have a lot to think about on that dopamine thing. So expect lots of questions <laughs> or, or actually what I'd really love is some reading material, right? Where, where do I go to learn so I can think about that more? If you Google incentive salience and incentive sensation theories as well, that's, if you just Google that, you'll, you'll, you'll head down a really beautiful rabbit hole and you just won't stop. Like there's so much, there's a whole body of work. So that's, but also if you get a chance. I'm slow to write things down. You said incentive salience. And what was the other one? Incentive sensation theories. Thank you. If you, if you also try and just listen to everything Simone Gabois says about it. I love him. My fave. Yes. Yeah. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. And he talks a lot about it. And then you'll end up going down the rabbit hole of like sign sign seeking versus reward seeking, which is an, which was the other the other one. Before I said there was two things I'm really interested in. That's the other one, but we won't do we won't dig into that. Just that's that's the next one. Yeah, that's the next. Um, and um, yeah, so that's that. I think that's where I'd go with that probably. Um, I guess my take home for people would be that breed really does matter. Like breed does matter and the line, the line in which the dog was bred really does matter. Like anything that speaks to the contrary goes against years and years of practical experience, as well as thousands of like as well as a whole body of work from many, many other scientists. And when it comes to predation, thinking about what a dog has been bred to do and mastering using that desire to perform those behaviors really is the key to to training any high drive dog I think that would be my my thing that I'd like people to think about and to take home really when it comes to their practical training is to really think about what what behavior is your dog like a magnet like a moth to a flame for and how can you use that in your training to your advantage and and I suppose remembering that, that using that doesn't mean it has to happen at the end and thinking about developing training strategies and, and 
jumping outside of that box where we set up an antecedent and we get a behavior that we want and then we give it a lovely consequence and, and ripping tearing up that rule book and instead going like things can happen in other orders if the behavior is the reward then how can we develop the beginning and the end to allow to allow for a really beautiful training drill and a really clean way of training that the dog still is going to repeat and, and thinking about things in a different way. Because I think that when you start thinking about it like that, it opens up this world of creativity when it comes to, when it comes to looking at exercises that, that you just don't see at the moment. Like me and Nando do all these training drills and training reps. And I just think like it's opened thinking about training in that way in a different order and not thinking about it in this linear setup that we've, we've always been taught it in has really made us train completely differently sometimes. I'm curious, how much time do you spend thinking about it versus doing it? I spend all the time that I can't spend doing it thinking about it. (laughs) Yes, I think we're cut from the same cloth. I don't spend any of the time thinking about it when I could be doing it. There you go. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, I think we're totally cut from the same cloth. So we're going to pause there as we think about what Joe Rosie just gave us with this whole concept of dopamine and incentive salience and incentive sensation. And just let everybody know that all three of us just went down a huge rabbit hole for looking stuff up on the internet and thinking about how this type of a concept may change how we do training and how we think about setting up our training and hides and reinforcement experiences and all of the things. So first thing we do, of course, is go to the lovely Google and put <laughs> and start typing in um, incentive salience. And the fascinating thing that came up was a lot of it was related to addiction and how that actually put together. We we often talk about making our dogs addicted to odor or addicted to the hide or addicted to the toy, all of those sorts of things. So So when I call my Malinois crackheads, I'm actually pretty accurate then. (laughs) (laughs) I believe so. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I've always said that, you know, especially uh, when they're working, I always feel like they're just high. You can just, their eyes are dilated and blown out and they're just high. And so then talking about the dopamine, yeah, yeah, we're right. They're high. <laughs> well, well, it is kind of interesting. It's like, you know, if I work with prize, especially because I've talked about her, I call it a pathological food drive, right? And when I work with her, and it's it's really interesting. I'll literally, if we do a lot, some repetitive behavior, maybe not related to nose work necessarily, but just kind of even just like just sitting at heel and feeding, when she starts to anticipate that cookie starting to come, I look down at her and all of a sudden her eyes are black. There's something about that look that's just, I, maybe that's because I'm a decoy, but I love Well, it. that's at that point, I'm like, she's going to bite my hand off as I try to, she's going to get really sharky with that food. And I see those pupils blown out and I'm like, all right, I think we need to stop now because this is not the <laughs> behavior that I'm looking for, which is like, ah, you know, 
it's it looks like this like crazed animal sitting in in the heel position. So um, yeah, but as a decoy, that's the look that I'm always kind of I'll, I'll use the word ate up uh, <laughs> about because <laughs> you can see it, but then like when they're uh, when they're biting, you can just see them go through this whole bliss. Yeah, and I, I don't think I've ever seen or felt another creature that you can just feel that everything is right in their world. There's nothing better than that moment for them. And that's such a powerful thing. And I I think that's where my rabbit hole keeps going with Joe Rosie is I'm trying to figure out, uh, she really twisted my brain around because like she said, the antecedent, the behavior, the consequence. Yeah. And for so much of what we do in protection sports and detection, Uh the behavior is the high. That is the thing that they love the most. Yes. It's the hunting. It's the hunting with searching. And it's the biting for the protection sport. Yeah. It's not the cookie. And so if we keep thinking that the consequence or the reward or the reinforcement has to be the highest thing, that's where I got so twisted with Yukon for so long. Oh, because yeah, my head's going somewhere else. Keep going, keep going. I got to talk. I, I, oh, my God. You can, you can go. You're no, no, no. Blank areas. We had uh-huh. that whole episode on blank areas, right? Yes. We're talking about how the searching is reinforcing and people yes. get so wrapped up into they have to find a hide and give the dog a cookie, right? But if you've made searching and hunting which is the reinforcing behavior for many dogs. Yes. That addiction. Yes. Then searching a blank area can actually be reinforcing for the dog. Yeah. See, this is also where it twists my brain a little because if hunting and searching are the most valuable things, and then we reward that, we talked earlier about you know, or she was saying, you know, like with the border collie, if you're reinforcing a border collie for doing the normal border collie thing, you'll actually start to squish or squash that behavior because it's already intrinsic. So like when I was talking about the old lady with the kids at the basketball court, Uh if you're rewarding the thing they already love to do. So now do you see the rabbit hole my brain is going in? Oh, So that's where when she said you have to rethink the whole ABCs of training, and I've always said it, it's not I, but lots of people have always said it, but I always really stress it's not a linear ABC. No. You you give the cue, you do the thing, you get the reward. It all kind of flows together in like loopy training. Yeah. But now, okay, so let's say that the hunting, and I'm going to use my Yukon for the example. So I go back and I'm almost thinking I can see how maybe I've caused some issues, but I can't quite get there yet. If hunting and sniffing are his number one, which I've always said, and I've always struggled with that, I have nothing that's bigger to reinforce that. And so I worked so hard to build this reinforcement system. And he made me work so hard to figure out games and things, but it was almost like uh, diet Pepsi, you know? So like hunting is the Pepsi and the reward was the diet Pepsi. Yeah. Oh, you guys. My oh, God, that hurts. That hurts. But I'm also kind of thinking, I'm like, my brain hurt, brain hurt. I mean, that's what I mean by that. Because all I'm doing is taking him away from the thing that he loves, no matter how I do it. So I think about this, Crystal, as you kind of uh, reoriented the whole concept of reinforcement for Dash, because Dash also really, really likes going out and sniffing. Uh huh. And so we put that on cue, go sniff, 
as a, which is then becomes a sequence of behaviors I can reinforce Yes, because I told you to go sniff. You went and sniffed stuff and then you come back to me and I can reinforce that. So basically then what we're doing is we're saying, when I say go fiends, go hunt. Now I'm telling you to go hunt and sniff for this one specific carrot in this vegetable stew of the world. Oh, Robin, you just answered in my head. I just figured it out. Go ahead. So if you don't find the carrots, I can reinforce you for her sniffing. If you do find the carrots, I reinforce you for finding the carrots. Yes. And so it becomes this ability and I can actually, if I would really choose to do so, reinforce you for finding the carrots by telling you to go sniff again. Yeah. If that is your primary reinforce reinforcement activity. Yeah. So the incentive salience, going back and thinking about it. You're taking, so we take the addiction piece of it that they talk a lot about when you start reading more about it. You have that repeated association of that, uh, the neutral stimulus, right? So that's where we're going with that. So by me having the thing that he only kind of liked, but I paired it with the activity of searching, the incentive salience is then saying that the cue is the thing that he wants to search. He likes to search because that's the whole like and want is the whole idea of the theory. Then he starts to like the thing that he gets when it's paired with the activity. So having the furball at the beginning of the search, it didn't have a lot of meaning for him. It was just something was okay, but now it's crack. Right. So because of using the search, so that's thinking of it differently. So instead of thinking of the reward after we had to think about it differently, but I didn't know what I was actually doing in that way. I was just conditioning it, obviously, but it makes more sense understanding this theory. And you talk often, and I've seen you as you're teaching, talk to students who are so incredibly folks that their dog may be that, that food drive dog, Dash. Dash is a lab. Dash really likes food. Even Sheba at this point, she's eight months old. She still really prefers food to playing with a toy. Yeah. But I can pair toys and food together in our play Uh so that the toy is actually becoming as reinforcing as food. Right. And I think that's what you're talking about is taking the furball and pairing it with hunt. Yeah. Because... Yukon really enjoyed the hunting portion. So then you paired them two together. And often we do that in a more traditional way of playing hunt games for a toy. Yeah. And this time we had to flip it around. So that previously neutral thing, which is the furball, I mean, it just, it was okay. It's now assigned incentive salience and it's manifesting as a craving. So anytime I get the furball, I can see that now he understands and you can almost see that he wants to go search. He wants to go sniff. Yeah. And it's not just that he wants to play with the furball. He actively wants to go sniff. Oh, okay. So how can I use this for radish now is what I'm thinking. (laughs) Right. Well, which is a really great concept for us to think about it. You know, we talk about 
developing a reinforcement system for dogs. Yes. And we want them to be crack addicts for that toy or addicts for the toy. And then getting the toy is the reinforcement for finding the carrots. Yeah. And being able to, for those dogs that may not follow you know, for, for those of us who go out and buy puppies and want to do this with our own dogs, and we're not going through the whole professional cycle of pre-screening the dog that you're going to train, you know, so, oh, I will only take dogs that like Kongs, or I will only take dogs that like tennis balls on a string. Yeah. Um, and because it fits the philosophy and the methodology that you train, there's those of us that are a little crazy, like all of us on this call. <laughs> hey, 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 go hey, get hey. a puppy. Oh, Stacy, come on. Oh, oh, Stacey, come on. Own it. I do. I do. And <laughs> love you. And if, if we, we try and do this, this fun, exciting game with this dog, and we actually have to go through the whole process of figuring out how the dog ticks. And some of them yeah. tick like cuckoo clocks and some of them tick like grandfather clocks and you just have to figure out all the different ticking. And you learn them as you go and you learn them as you go. And sometimes they change. They do. And sometimes you, you, you find out just by accident that there's something that they really, really, really want. I remember I was at your, at, at your farm, Robin, I'm taking my dogs out to go to the bathroom. And I think you were, you were teaching the, the Canadian search and rescue folks, right? Um, so I was just kind of like doing my own thing. I took prize out in the morning to go to the bathroom. I had her out going to the bathroom and she encountered one of those little balls that now we call the crystal ball, right? Because <laughs> because Crystal gave them to me. That's why I call them the crystal balls. And uh, they're, they're just like these, these like rubber balls. It's like, I, th- I think it's like old toys, like mashed together. And, and yeah, it's all their heavy. leftovers. It's their recycled. Yeah, yeah, they're kind of gummy. And she will put a link in the show notes. Oh yeah. yeah well, well, yeah. We'll put a link. Um, don't buy them all because I need to stock <laughs> up because if I lose one of these, I'm toast. <laughs> and so here's my dog who I always talk about having this pathological food drive because her food drive I've never seen it seen anything like this before. And and uh, what's interesting is as I'm taking her out to go to the bathroom, she discovers one of these balls, and we started to play with it, and all of a sudden now that is her crack, that ball. So I'm finding that my dog who has like food drives, like I have not ever seen before Labrador, but it was like Labrador, like extra, <laughs> like extra Labrador. And this crystal ball is not made out of crystal. It's actually called the crystal ball. We call it the crystal ball because it comes because of crystal has turned into something that is kind of like Brava with her blue ball. Now, what was interesting I didn't have the crystal ball on me and I decided, cause I was, I started to play with this with some toy reward uh, with prize uh, while I was out at Robin's and I didn't have the crystal ball on me. So I brought out one of Brava's balls. It was like this blue spiky squeaky. It's a fun ball. Right. And I threw that. She went up, she looked at it and she's like, what the F is this? This is not my ball. And it was just really interesting how that specific. So even though she loves her ball. It is not generalized to other balls. It is these specific balls. Now, the other day I had to get that. I had to order. I've ordered two more of them just in case we lose one. I'm, I'm, I'm toast. Right. So, cause we only have, we'll end up with seven. Uh, well, we'll end I, up with I, seven. 
I need, well, the problem is I only had two and she needs two because she has some possessiveness because she gets the ball. And she's like, my ball is my precious. I'm picturing Dobby from Lord of the Rings. Like my precious, my precious, right? That is, that is oh, no, Do- Dobby. Dobby is um, Harry Potter. It's um, that's Dobby. You can't confuse the two. Um, and I don't even watch movies, so I have no idea what you're talking oh, about. Oh, I thought it, I thought Dobby was the thing with the the ring. With no, the, that's Gollum. Oh, Gollum. Sorry, sorry. I am not a Lord of the Rings. I, I think you just probably made us lose a lot of listeners right oh. there. Pretty sure, but I, you I'm know what? So We're keeping sorry. it in. This is like my official <laughs> apology. <laughs> All right, this I'm putting this out. Do you I can't confuse the writing? two. I'm so I sorry. Know, this fine. out, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, I, okay, okay. So, so just picture. Okay, so <laughs> you're like my precious. Yes, <laughs> the, guy with, the guy with the ears, little like old guy with yes. the ears. Okay, with, yeah, with, with, with that was a hobbit. My yeah, precious, my precious. <laughs> yes. Right, that's prize with her Robin. ball. <laughs> this is so ridiculous. So that's her with her ball, right? She gets that. She got her ball. She's like, my precious, my precious. So I needed to do two ball with her. And then, then I got the drops. And so she was retrieving. She got the drops. So I have to have two balls. This all goes back. To that. I have to have two balls. So I took these. So I ordered two more because if I lose one ball, I'm up a creek. So I buy two more balls. And then I'm like, toast. I, yeah, I'd, <laughs> I'd be toast. Right? Or so up I'd, a creek. Up a creek, whatever. So... I buy two more balls and I take her out in the backyard to make her realize these are the same balls because otherwise I didn't want her to think, well, that's not my orange ball or that's not my, those aren't my, you know? So then she's like, oh yes, these are the same balls. So I played with her and I brought her in and she's like, where did you put my balls? Like it was crazy. Right. And (laughs) so I, I put them in like this, this bowl. And just put them on top of my cabinet. Just think, I got to get these out of her way. Well, next thing I know, she is, she can smell them, right? Because, hey, I've got a dog. Got She's a, a dog. Exactly. A nose work dog. Yeah. A nose work dog. Specialized. A detection dog. <laughs> exactly. And she's got a really good nose. Trust me. She is um, literally climbing my furniture, trying to figure out how do I get up on top of the cabinet to get my balls back. So it's really interesting how something like that. Uh, so and uh, anyway, anyway uh, long story short, too late. I put the that that bowl <laughs> with the balls in a closed cabinet over my refrigerator because they are apparently that valuable. So my point is going back to the beginning of the story is <laughs> that we sometimes accidentally find these reinforcers for our dog so we can have this whole history with our dog thinking and and the assumptions that well my dog is a food dog my dog has pathological food drive then all of a sudden we find a crystal ball (laughs) and i and i think the point is is that we have to be available and open to the fact that we are going to learn more about our dogs and what they really want as we go am i totally off topic Yeah, no, I love the openness because I think that's what I'm feeling with everything that Joe Rosie said, because I think at first, when we first recorded this, which was a month ago now, because we needed time to process. Yes, yes, we (laughs) did. And I mean, as much as we've been teaching and everything, uh, I've really, I've had to listen to the interview that we did. I think I've listened to it four times. And every single time that I've listened, I've gained more based on where I am with Radish And then thinking about when I'm helping my teammates. So one of the things that I'm also thinking about is 
uh, tracking. Uh So with IGP tracking, they have to put their nose in every footprint. And then there's a very sharp turn, uh, either right or left, or even um, an acute turn. So it kind of goes back on itself. The dog, even if they can smell the track that goes to the right or the left is an acute turn, they can't skip any steps. So we're asking them to do something that's very unnatural. (laughs) You have to keep your nose in those footprints until you get to that exact turn. And then you have to continue that and you can't take your nose past a footprint. So they can go not even a body length. They have to stop themselves and then reorient to the direction of the track. So just in case you're not familiar with the style. So here's the the, the concern that we have sometimes. And I had this with Quinn. He loved tracking more than anything else. So I'm back to that whole thing of like uh-huh. Yukon loving the, the sniffing more than anything else. So then along this track, you'll have a carpet, a wood, and a leather article. Okay. And the articles, we always say, become punishing. And even just last uh-huh. week when I had Yukon on the track, uh, Nancy was so nice to me. She laid a surprise track and I showed up and she put her billfold on the track. And, you know, it's just something fun. And when he started to get up to it, you could see the moment that he could smell it. His yeah. tracking became very avoidance. Oh, because he it was went, the end of the be- it was the end of the pleasurable. It, it wasn't even the end of the track, even. But uh, he knew that he was going to have to lay down at this article, and he wasn't okay. going to continue sniffing. And so, traditionally, we always reward the article with a big play or a big food or something. Yeah, but that's not rewarding. Having to stop tracking is the worst thing you can do. Okay. So then we started rewarding the article, which is getting to track some more. Right. But you have to keep the same consistency and speed of the track. So then when they've had to stop at this article and they really want to keep tracking, if you say, okay, well, your reward is to get to keep tracking. Well, when they start the track back up, they tend to start off too exuberant. Okay. So it's a weird kind of problem we're running into. So then we start putting spikes. Yes. Because it's the reward is to get to track and you can't rehearse jumping up to go track again, it needs to be a very calm, methodical footprint to footprint. Yeah. So this has really been tickling my brain. So um, what what we do with nose, so when we're doing multiple hides, this is kind of, kind of reminds me of doing multiple hides with dogs who are really into the searching, right? And maybe dogs who tend toward high arousal. I'm kind of thinking about actually um, one of my students' dogs and, um, and, and her dog, she's got a dog that just completed elite champion we started to work on the fact that he was so he loved the hunt so much we use the reward phase at the hide to lower the arousal so i also kind of do this with prize like when she gets to the hide she's all excited because the hunt is very um very rewarding for her just as the hide i reward her in such a way to lower the arousal and then i resend her in a lowered arousal state because i know that arousal is going to spike again when she starts to search. But the problem uh, with this is I still need the intensity of that tracking. So I can't really bring my arousal down. Well, you just want to just edge it down just a touch so that you don't get that explosion out. And I don't know about from a tracking perspective, but I don't, I don't want to like really bring down her arousal. It's just a get, get, you know, like using get your, your head in the right space. Yeah. Yes. Or, or get all the squirrels going in the right 
right? Direction. Yeah, get your it's, stuff together. It's a refocusing. It's actually not even <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> that was close. <laughs> We're, but you know what? This is already going to be an explicit episode. If you listen to Joe Rosie, oh, that's right. All, I yes, forgot. I forgot. Right. I love Joe Rosie. I know. Oh I my do gosh, too. it was so. And I'm fun. just sitting here going, it's yeah. an E. It's an E. It's an E. So. Uh, Can we just do explicit, explicit from now on? It would be we so much easier. <laughs> it would <laughs> be much easier. <laughs> so, but but the point is, is that it's actually not even so much of an arousal lowering. So maybe I'm using the wrong terms. It's more of like a focusing. Yes, it's just I kind of you. like like it gets your act together. And I usually even have, even though I don't have a sit on prize as a final response. When I reward her, sometimes I ask for the sit because it just helps to kind of get her brain focused, like. Little girl, you just we gotta focus here for a second. And she goes, Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can do this. I can do this. Here's your cookie. And then she goes off and, and searches. And I don't know if kind of that that's what you're talking about. It's like, like a little bit of a refocusing before the uh engaging in the tracking again. I hear that. I think I'm still thinking about um the whole incentive salience is telling me that the tracking is the behavior that is the most rewarding. Yeah. If I can put something before that, even kind of like I did with Yukon and the furball, I wonder if there's something that I can use there to also kind of work. Is there like a tactile, just a refocus, like just putting your hands on them to just kind of help them, help them to go. Okay. Before you start, I'm just kind of, kind of brainstorming a little bit. Like, but it's not even the, before I start, I think I'm going back to making articles, not feel Okay, um, like a okay. punishing thing when they're tracking. Right, and I, I was thinking about the uh, when he starts to track again. Yeah, that I you think have. I, I feel like of... I can work on that because okay. I could even work on my start routine of making my start routine a very focused thing, and it, yeah. it'd be just like in uh, in nose work when we're doing a reset. Right. So it's just we're just resetting the track again. So it could be I start my track from a down from now on, yeah. and then I can build that habit. So I'm I'm kind of feeling good about that. Yeah, it's the how do I make the articles yeah. not become a consequence that is a negative thing? And that would be done. I would think maybe you could think about how you reinforce a controlled restart. How, how do you allow maybe, maybe if they come off the article as a rocket, that's a pull you off track, but they, if they come out of the article controlled, they are continued to allow to, to track. So you're still thinking that it's the, after the article thing is what's going to help the, before the article thing. I don't know. <laughs> but my, my, my brain went to, if you do a really long, like a long piece of track, and then that article is actually going to be more aversive because he's already engaged in this really great activity for a certain amount of time. We do I that wonder- too. And we've put it earlier a lot yeah. of times. Um, so we've tried earlier. So I also put it before the track. Okay. So it's the, it's the old, you know, if you uh, eat the broccoli, you get the ice cream, like she said. Yeah. And so, but I, I don't think I like the way that was working, especially after listening to what she said, because I yeah. feel like that's exactly what I was doing by putting it before I was turning it even more into broccoli. But I was also thinking by doing that, that if you do the article before the track to get to do the wonderful thing you get to do, 
And that gave him the chance that he was before the track so he could run up and then we could start the track in a controlled way. Yeah. That I was making the article become that wonderful thing that allows you to track. Uh huh. But I think it's kind of doing the opposite. It's yeah. keeping it as broccoli instead of turning it into ice cream. It's like all of a sudden, like, I really, really, really hate my broccoli. And now I hate it even more because now I have to eat it in order to get my ice cream. Is that kind of... I think so. And I, I really yeah. thought that I was thinking it Although through in this kind I do too. Um, For the record. I <laughs> but just, such I, bad breath. I hate the breath that it you gives know what? me. I, I'm a, I love vegetables. Oh, me too. But ugh. Oh, <laughs> afterward. Anyway. Yeah. So it's... I thought that that was an incentive salience thing. And so now I'm, that's now twisting my brain a little. Welcome audience to how we start thinking through problems. Oh. <laughs> and when we find a new piece of information and the rabbit holes that we go down trying oh. to understand and then modify how we think about training. Yeah. Welcome to us chatting. Yes. <laughs> scary. It's really kind of, kind of scary. I was I was actually just thinking like even if you did like a half track, well we do article tracks too, and that seemed to help when the whole purpose is just find your articles. So yeah. hunting for articles is very reinforcing. Right. So all of the dogs we've worked with, if you throw a bunch of articles out in a field and you don't have the track associated with it, yeah, they love to go hunt for the article and tell oh. you where they are, and then you take that article up and you tell them to go find the next article. Yeah. And they go and they dive after the next article. They love that game. Okay. So I think that's the answer. They get to play the article hunt game, which then after they find five or six of them, which mm -hmm. they love that game, now that allows them to go into and do the actual track. But would you put an article on that track then? Sometimes, sometimes not. Right. You don't have to. If they've done all of the articles beautifully, you could just, let's do a short track. Maybe there's no article. It, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't have to look like a competition track. Right. So it's part of the training plan. Yeah. Well, because remember, like we, we talk about teach the dog, train the dog, train yeah. the dog some more, then test the dog. That's what your trials are. They're testing the dogs. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't mean, and, and this is the thing that I see a lot in our detection dog world. Well, we have to set up our training problems exactly like certifications or exactly like a test no. or a trial. No. And no, no, no we no, train, no. We, exactly. we you are training a certain set of skills. So make sure that whatever you're training, it doesn't have to look like a trial. doesn't have to look anything like a trial. You don't yeah. have to do your setups. Don't have to look anything like what you're going to find in a trial at all. Or a certification, or a or certifi the fact trial, that you always, trial slash certification it doesn't. Have and to be. and this is this is the the yeah. it's interesting Great because example. you fall into those habits of well the certification says that everything has to sit for thirty minutes so we set out all of our hides yeah. and everybody stands around and talks for thirty minutes and then we start going to you know work. And I, I think that that actually does our dogs a disservice. It's an assumption based on what we believe like or what we've been exposed to that all of a sudden we layer that onto how we train. Yeah. So this incentive salience theory for me just was a game changer for my tracking for a couple of the dogs because I'm going to use the behavior that they already love, which is going out and hunting for five or six articles. And I think a lot of people will use article tracks. and. Yeah. 
I don't really, they, I mean, that's just, it's more punishing. I mean, I just, I haven't found that to be something they really enjoy. So instead I'll take five articles out. I'm going to throw it in the field random. I know he loves that game. He'll get to go out, find those articles. And then from that last article, I'm just going to send him to the track. So he's doing one thing he loves to one yeah. thing he loves. Yeah. And then at the, the end articles of the track, are right in the middle. Yeah. yeah. And then at the end of the track, which will probably be like a 600 pace track, just something nice and easy, no articles. Yeah. And then um, at the end of it, I think, I don't really know how I'm going to end it without the article because that's Heard something a furball. he's going to I think yeah. I might just have a furball come out of the sky. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you guys, I'm so excited. I can't wait to see how it goes. (laughs) Okay. So this, um, we still have what, two more chunks of the Joe Rosie episode to talk about? So many things. So many things. Yes. So thank you for helping me today. Yeah. You're welcome. (laughs) And and thanks, everybody. And make sure to check out the website, um, sign up, and uh, make sure to follow us on Facebook. Canine Detection Collaborative. We appreciate the time you spend with us. If you liked this episode, not only should you follow us so you don't miss the next one, but please also rate and review us in your favorite podcast app. For info on collaborating with us, go to K9DetectionCollaborative.com. That's K9DetectionCollaborative.com, where you can find our socials and pick up our latest monthly freebie. Join us again to talk training in the next episode.